Good afternoon. My name is Maria and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to After Health's third quarter 2021 earnings call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you'll need to press star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to turn it over to Cornelia Miller, Vice President of Corporate Development and Investor Relations, to begin the conference. Thank you, Maria, and good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us for our third quarter earnings call, where we'll discuss our financial results, the momentum in our business, and our updated guidance. Mario Schlosser, Oscar's co-founder and chief executive officer, and Scott Blackley, Oscar's chief financial officer, will host this afternoon's call, which can also be accessed through our investor relations website at ir.hioscar.com. Full details of our results and additional management commentary are available in our earnings release, which can be found on our investor relations website at ir.hioscar.com. Any remarks that Oscar makes about the future constitute forward-looking statements within the meaning of safe harbor provisions under the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Actual results may differ materially from those indicated by those forward-looking statements as a result of various important factors, including those discussed in our quarterly report on Form 10-Q for the quarterly period ended June 30, 2021, filed with the SEC, and our other filings with the SEC. Forward-looking statements are based on current expectations as of today. Oscar anticipates that subsequent events and developments may cause estimates to change. While the company may elect to update these forward-looking statements at some point in the future, we specifically disclaim any obligation to do so. The call will also refer to certain non-GAAP measures. A reconciliation of these measures to the most directly comparable GAAP measures can be found in our third quarter 2021 press release, which is available on the company's investor relations website at ir.hyaster.com. With that, I would like to turn the call over to our CEO and co-founder, Mario Schlosser. Thank you, Cornelia, and good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. And this is really always such an honor to do, so thanks for being with us. Today, we will provide you with updates on several topics, our financial results for the third quarter of 2021, our 2021 full year outlook in the context of our third quarter results, and lastly, our perspective on a market position for 2022. Let me start with the third quarter results. Our revenue membership growth rates continue to be strong. Our direct and assumed policy premiums increased 54% year over year, and our premiums before seeded reinsurance increased 62% year over year, driven by our membership growth as well as business mix shifts towards higher premium plans. We believe this growth is a result of our strong brands, best-in-class member experience, and solid distribution and provider relationships. Our quarterly results represent the second year in a row of greater than 50% top-line growth. With respect to membership, we ended the third quarter with 594,000 members, an increase of 41% year-over-year, representing our third consecutive quarter of growth as a public company. This growth was largely driven by membership increases in our individual business as a result of the special enrollment periods. Florida, California, and Texas continue to drive the majority of our special enrollment growth. At the book level, SEP membership growth was slightly above the market, and we have seen intra-year retention stronger than in previous years. 
from a medical loss ratio perspective, this special enrollment growth is a headwind in 2021, largely because we have a more limited opportunity to collect risk adjustment scores on these members. However, we expect this to shift to a tailwind in 2022 because of membership retention and expected improved MLR performance for this cohort in the years ahead. For 2022, we continue to pursue discipline pricing that balances growth and profitability. Entering this open enrollment now, we are the lowest price plan in fewer markets than we were in 2021. Specifically, we have the lowest cost plan in just 5% of our markets next year. We also priced for an endemic COVID environment, including costs related to ongoing testing and vaccinations. My kids got the vaccine just this weekend, which I'm very happy about. Broadly speaking, we increased our rates at the book level, and we priced to achieve growth and improve margins next year. Now, we are 10 days into open enrollments, and we're seeing great traction in the markets, and our product offering is meeting the market where the demand is. Heading into 2022, we announced arrangements with new health systems in several states, including Florida, Texas, Illinois, and Colorado. These strategic contracts demonstrate the ongoing interest from health systems and providers looking to work with Oscar as we broaden our network in key markets. We expect these to drive additional membership growth and improve overall unit economics in our individual business in the coming years. We also saw solid performance in our Signa Plus Oscar business. We've nearly doubled our membership over the last quarter, driven by continued growth in Connecticut and our expansion into Kansas and Missouri. We're optimistic about our potential in the small group segments. As you know, we are currently in the midst of the annual enrollment period for Medicare Advantage, and we look forward to sharing more about our growth there at our next quarterly earnings call. Our primary focus in expanding Medicare Advantage is onboarding our Health First members, which I will talk about more in just a minute. Now, turning to our medical loss ratio. Scott will be spending more time on this shortly, but I want to note that we had pressure on the MLR this quarter. Our consolidated medical loss ratio for the quarter was 99.7%. This is clearly higher than anticipated, driven in part by net COVID utilization that was higher than expected by higher-than-expected special enrollment growth, and by some adverse risk adjustment audit results. Looking through these drivers, we believe they are predominantly issues that we anticipate will not, not carry into next year, based on the landscape we see today. As I said, Scott will unpack this in more detail later in the call. On COVID, we saw costs rise in the third quarter compared to the second quarter, largely driven by the Delta variant. These costs were partially offset by deferred non-COVID utilization. We saw these COVID costs peak in August and reduce in both September and further in October. Of note, at the end of October, we saw a 70% reduction for COVID hospitalizations related to the August peak. Today, we are tracking um, to a COVID conversation volume in our consideration care teams that is in line with pre-Delta wave levels. We anticipate the acute impact of COVID to continue to subside, barring additional variant strains, and we will keep a close eye on the landscape throughout the remainder of the year. Turning now to Plus Oscar, our technology platform business. This is a reminder 
In Plus Oscar, we are enabling insurers and providers to become more consumerized, to bear risk, and better provide longitudinal care. We see these trends, these three trends continue to ripple through the overall healthcare markets, providing a fertile ground for further growth in Plus Oscar. Our conversations with prospective clients are advancing in the pipeline, and we continue to build out the top of our funnel. In fact, one piece of feedback we are hearing in our conversations in the panel is that providers are looking to build out their share of wallets in their local communities. Therefore, we believe that growing our insurance book of business is also a positive for pitching our plus Oscar solutions. And we continue to view both parts of our business, insurance and platform, as synergistic. A key focus currently in the plus Oscar strategy is quality execution for our current plus Oscar clients. We're actually today about seven weeks out from the cutover for Health First to our platform, where approximately 60,000 of Health First members will fully transfer onto the Plus Oscar platform. And to date, we have actually already successfully become the source of truth for all Health First plan year 22 enrollments, and we are supporting their growth strategies for their MA and individual business lines. Plus Oscar is already managing the Health First enrollment processing, and their members are being onboarded on the Plus Oscar Power Digital Experience. In 2022, we anticipate an additional approximately $50 million of Plus Oscar fee-based revenue from the arrangements based on current membership. Virtual primary care, as a part of our Plus Oscar platform, continues to perform well in the markets we are offering it in, in 2021. This offering, delivered by the Oscar Medical Group, now represents about 20% of our members' primary care delivered in several of our largest markets. Beginning in 2022, we are expanding our virtual primary care offering into more individual markets and, for the first time, into Cigna plus Oscar markets. Looking ahead, we remain focused on continued growth to increase the scale of our businesses, which will be a driver of improved bottom-line results over time, and we are targeting profitability in our insurance business in 2023. Our insurance strategy continues to focus on lowering the total cost of care and achieving greater economies of scale and operations. We strive to be a best-in-class insurance business, which requires balancing our member focus and improving our business fundamentals. That includes three components. One, growing revenue at a rate faster than the industry to increase market share and building additional insurance capabilities. Two, growing our costs at a rate lower than our revenue growth as a result of the efficiencies and process improvements gained from the Plus Oscar technology stack, and three, reducing overall medical costs by continuing to extract value from the tools we have built to engage our members and to engage and enable our provider partners, therefore continue to make healthcare more affordable and accessible for our members. With that, let me turn the call over to Scott. Thank you, Mario, and good afternoon, everyone. Today, I'll walk you through the positive top-line momentum in the business, explain key areas of pressure in the underwriting results, and how we're thinking about the future as we look towards next year. Beginning with membership, we ended the third quarter with 594,000 members, an increase of 41% year over year, driven by growth in our individual Medicare Advantage and Cigna Plus Oscar books of business. Membership growth continued to exceed our expectations this quarter. As consumers selected our plans during the extended special enrollment period, which ended August 15th in all but three of our 18 states. From the start of SCP through September 30th, we've enrolled 187,000 members. 
We believe our nearly 600,000 member base represents a great base as we go into 22. Third quarter direct and assumed policy premiums increased 54% year over year to 899 million, driven by our membership growth, as well as business mix shift towards higher premium plans. Premiums before seated reinsurance were 673 million in the quarter, up 62% year over year driven by higher premiums and lower year over year risk adjustment percentage. Turning to risk adjustment. We recognized approximately 20 million of risk adjustment expense this quarter related to our risk adjustment data validation audit or RADV results. The RADV exercise is atypical this year due to COVID. It spans two years, 2019 and 2020. The majority of the RADV headwinds relate to the 2019 audit results, which were recently completed. We're seeing a market improvement in 2020 audit results. And thus far we have, we've seen better results in 2020, excuse me, and we have made further enhancements in our risk adjustment process in 2021. As such, we expect this is a headwind for the quarter, but not going forward. Premiums net of reinsurance or premiums earned was 442 million, increasing 346% year over year. This increase is driven by a reduced quota share session rate of 32% in the third quarter of 21 versus 80% in the third quarter of 20. Our medical loss ratio was 99.7% in the third quarter. There were three items that impacted the MLR. The first item was the effect of the COVID spike in the third quarter, which inclusive of our COVID pricing in 2021 was approximately 500 basis points unfavorable on a year-over-year basis. Net COVID spend to the Delta wave accounted for approximately 600 basis points of MLR in the current quarter, which was modestly above our expectations. Lower non-COVID utilization offset roughly half of the direct COVID expense in the quarter. As Mario mentioned, COVID costs spiked in August and declined through October, suggesting a potential lower impact in the fourth quarter, all else equal. The second item impacting the MLR was the adverse risk adjustment data validation results, which drove approximately 300 basis points of MLR impact on a year-over-year basis. As I mentioned, this is a headwind in the quarter, but it's not impacting our baseline. The third item impacting year-over-year MLR was the growth in our SCP membership, which was higher than we anticipated. We estimate that the growth in our SCP membership drove approximately 100 basis points of pressure on the MLR versus same quarter last year. As we mentioned in our last call, SEP members run less favorably than our OE population, driven largely by risk adjustment dynamics for the partial year. We have seen this effect come through in our results as we expected, and as we have more SEP members than last year, our MLR was higher versus the same period last year. Looking forward, growth in SEP membership is a headwind for 2021 MLR, but we expect that retaining SEP members during our OE22 will be a tailwind to next year. Turning back to our insurance company metrics, our third quarter insurance company administrative expense ratio of 23.1% increased 70 basis points year over year, largely due to a combination of the risk adjustment items impact on premiums and distribution costs associated with SEP members. These were partially offset by the lack of the health insurance fee and operating leverage. Our overall combined ratio, which is the sum of the medical loss ratio and the insurance company administrative ratio, 
was 122.8% in the quarter and 106.7% on a year-to-date basis. Our adjusted EBITDA loss of $189 million increased $118 million year-over-year, largely driven by overall higher membership volume, volatility in the MLR, and costs driven by higher-than-expected membership. Turning to the balance sheet, we ended the quarter with $1 billion of cash and investments at the parent and another $1.5 billion of cash and investments at our insurance subsidiaries, and our $200 million revolver remains undrawn. Let me now turn to updated guidance for 2021 and offer some color on tailwinds and headwinds for the next year. We are raising our expectations for direct and assumed policy premiums this year to $3.35 billion to $3.45 billion. At the midpoint, this represents roughly a 50% year-over-year increase in annual premiums. This also represents a $150 million increase from prior guidance at the midpoint, driven by higher SEP growth. We are updating our full-year MLR guidance for 2021 to 89% to 91%, a 400-basis point increase at the midpoint. The largest driver of the increase was the fact that our SEP membership growth has exceeded our expectations. While this is driving an increase in premiums, it also puts pressure on our 2021 MLR. We have also updated for the full-year impact of the risk adjustment data validation accrual. And finally, inclusive of the third quarter results, net COVID-related costs in 2021 are expected to be modestly higher than our prior estimates. We are maintaining our insurance company administrative guidance of 21 to 22%. Based on the aforementioned adjustments, we are updating our insurance company combined ratio guidance to 110 to 112%, and our guidance for adjusted EBITDA loss to 450 to 480 million. Pulling up. The results this quarter reflect strong continued top-line growth that will serve as a higher-than-expected starting point as we head into next year. While we experienced some volatility in our underwriting results this quarter, we think the drivers of the volatility will have a muted effect in 2022. The RADV accrual this quarter is expected to be atypical, and we do not expect this to be a headwind going forward. The growth in membership through the special enrollment gives us a larger base to carry into 2022, and it's unlikely to reoccur next year, absent a shift in regulations. With respect to COVID, we have captured endemic level COVID costs in our 22 pricing. And while higher levels of vaccinations heading into 22 and continued evolution of therapeutics to treat COVID patients may mute the effects of any future strains or outbreaks, as an industry, the impacts of such events remain a potential risk. All told, we are optimistic heading into next year and anticipate giving 2022 guidance with our fourth quarter results. With that, I'll turn the call back to Mario. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for taking us through this. Uh, Before we take questions, I want to reiterate just a few points. First is that we, as we head into 2022, we see many tailwinds in our business. Uh, We are confident that our insurance business is well positioned and we continue to target for full year profitability in that business in 2023. And now you've all heard me discuss several times the key trends that we see shaping healthcare today, with the first being an increased individualization as players across the healthcare ecosystem are realizing the buying power of consumers and how much value there is in a great member experience. We believe that's what we're seeing here. The individual market growth continues this gradual paradigm shift towards further individualization. And we think we are best positioned 
for a world like that and to serve members in this kind of individualized type of market. Less than a year after IPO, our membership is significantly higher than we anticipated. And that isn't a coincidence. It's a result of a value brand, of a best-in-class product, and of a consumer-oriented DNA. And we expect 2022 to bring another year of strong growth for all of our insurance business lines. Now, these same trends are at work in providing a fertile ground for the growth of our plus Oscar business as well. And there, we're excited about the coming step change with respect to the number of lives we have on our platform heading into 2022. And with that, I will turn the call over to the operator to open up the line for your questions. We'll now begin our Q&A session. Just a reminder, we will only allow one question and one follow-up at this time. To ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. And your first question comes from the line of Kevin Fishback from Bank of America. Your line is open. All right, great, thanks. Um, I appreciate the color. Uh, it sounds to me like you're saying that, um, you know, you, you still feel like you're on track for 2023 profitability at the insurance level um, and that the issues in 2021 are largely kind of one time, um, I guess, without giving specific out in 2022. I mean, do you think that, 2022 is largely kind of a back-on-track year, or is there reason to believe that, you know, there may be some, some headwinds that linger into next year that, that make it a little bit less of a, uh, you know, straight line back to the, uh, the profitability targets you have for, for 2023? Sure. Thanks, Kevin. Um, appreciate the question. So I think there's a few factors that I would point to going into next year. The first is that we see an opportunity for improvement in the MLR next year. And as you just mentioned, um, the items that are putting pressure on the MLR this, you know, this year and particularly this quarter are, are really largely um, transitory. And so we think that we can see, you know, a better performance in MLR next year. And then secondly, as Mario talked about, um, we really tried to take a thoughtful approach in our pricing for 22, where we're balancing growth and margin. And we think that we have an upper, a, a really good opportunity for another year of strong growth. And I would just point out that, that scale at Oscar is going to be the driver of profitability over time. So bigger is certainly better. So we're excited about the potential there. And then the last thing I would just mention is that at the total company level, we're also going to start having plus Oscar deals contributing, you know, meaningful amounts of revenue and margin next year. So, you know, we see a lot of reason for optimism as we go into next year. Yeah, the final thing I might add is um, uh, we can innovate. And I think the longer we are able to run, the longer we keep it up, the longer we are able to get value out of the tools we've been building, the system building, uh, the better we will get at all of this as well. Okay, that's helpful. I guess then the guidance for Q4 MLR, um, okay, so for the year MLR being 200 basis points wide, I guess implies like a very wide range for Q4 MLR. So just wanted to get some color as to why that, that that it's still a 200 basis point uh, range for MLR at this point in the year. Yeah, um, probably because I'm a conservative CFO, honestly, um, and. You know, it is a pretty dynamic environment. But I would just say this, based on what we've seen 
you know, in the third quarter, we updated to, you know, for everything that, that we were seeing in the environment. And, you know, I would expect that uh, the, that guidance represents a, a, a reasonable effort at trying to capture all those risks. Okay, thanks. And your next question comes from Gary Taylor from Cowan. Your line is open. Hi, good afternoon. Um, I wanted to just hear your thoughts on how you're, you know, thinking about the folks um, in that Medicaid coverage gap if the, if the budget reconciliation legislation passes. And given that um, could be several million people, which is a positive, probably a lot of people with deferred care and higher potential um, care costs is probably a negative. And then also wondering how their introduction into the, uh, you know, the risk pool uh, for individual might drive some greater volatility. But do you just have some overall thoughts on, on the outlook for that population? Yeah, thanks, Gary. Um, so we've been monitoring this closely, of course, uh, and um, I do think there's a high chance that um, something will pass there and that uh, that membership will come into the market. Um, we have a fair bit of excuse now in the prior years with accepting new segments of membership into the individual markets. So we've seen sort of like um, people leave and people come back into the markets uh, um, as the various individual markets and regulations change there. I think one comparison that hints in this direction potentially is the utilization we're seeing in this year's SEP population, where we actually largely see the MLR issues coming from that SEP population attributable to the fact that we just can't collect risk scores long enough in the year, and that's the major headwind there. From a utilization point of view, these folks who are coming in there, and the kind of couple places where they look a little bit out of line is uh, they have some higher ER utilization, uh, which potentially could be indicative of the fact that um, there's some self-selection going on that when folks get sick, um, they come back uh, into the market there. Uh, but the other thing we're also seeing there is a bit higher preventative care utilization in the SDP population. And so uh, I think if that repeats, um, that is very manageable. And in fact, actually, I think we're very much um, set up for that from a member experience point of view to grab those folks and make sure we can get them to the right channels of care and things like that. So um, I repeat this, this interesting statistic from our virtual care business uh, from, from, I think, mentioned last one of the earnings call, which is that of the folks we have attributed now to our virtual primary care physicians, 45% that they didn't have a PCP before. And so I think we've got those channels to attribute them there. We talked a bit about how we run um, member outbound campaigns to get folks who are not attributed to PCP in person um, to get them to go to PCP in person. Those are all the machinery we, machineries we can run. Overall, uh, I think I'd unequivocally say this is a net positive for our business. Uh, and um, besides the fact that it's a net positive for our business, I'm thrilled about the fact that we're going to get more towards affordable coverage for people across the country, and I think that's just a great thing generally, um, is a good tailwind. Okay, thank you. And your next question comes from Jonathan Young from Credit Suisse. Your line is open. Uh, thanks for taking the question. Um, just with respect to the discipline pricing commentary, um, does this inhibit your kind of growth for next year, if at all? And then are there any geographic areas where you feel you're better positioned uh, versus others for 2022 in the exchanges? Yeah, um, a good question as well. Um, so we 
the way we think about pricing, as mentioned in the script briefly, it, it, it for us really is a balance of growth and profitability. We've been doing this long enough. I think we know how to uh, get towards this balance now. Um, you know, barring sort of like a very dynamic environment in the way we had it this year, where a lot of stuff happens that really was hard to foresee. Um, let me kind of reground this in the numbers real quick. Um, on a weighted average basis, uh, we increased our rates across the portfolio for next year. So um, if you really look at where membership is and which metals years they're in, you kind of multiply this all out. We increased our rates from 2021 to 2022. So let me start there. Um, I mentioned this in the script, so I want to repeat this again as well. Last year we were the lowest price plan, about 10% of the markets we are in. Now we're only the lowest price in about 5% of the markets um, for next year. So uh, that's sort of like the, the overall backdrop. Now, where we lean in uh, and where we lean out from a pricing perspective is really driven by how much of a right to win we feel we have in certain markets. In markets, we have the strongest provider-partner relationships, where we might even have provider partners at risk um, together with us. In markets where we have great distribution relationships, those are markets where we really say, all right, let's, um, let's build more share here. Uh, and, um, you know, Drudgington, just again, I'm, it's very early in open romance, first 10 days, um, but I do think we can deliver on that, uh, on, on the growth expectations and, and the strong growth, as I call it, in the, in the, the paper marks um, for next year. And I really think that, uh, we are now at a point, after doing this for many, many years, where the product we have um, is really resonating with people and with members and brokers and providers uh, and so on. That's the anecdotal information uh, I really get from from uh, even being out there talking to members and brokers and so on. I'd say two more things. One is um, uh, some of this is in, in plan design, a really important level we have, and we again launch a bunch of innovative stuff for next year there. That's, I think, already helping. Uh, and the second thing is... Um, that yes, we continue to have our eye on profitability in the insurance business in 2023. Um, nothing's changed our view of that. Um, that's our target to ins achieve insurable profitability in 2023. Okay, great. And then just um, kind of going alongside Gary's question there, um, redeterminations are expected to come back next year. Was that kind of factored into your thinking and pricing and kind of how are you looking at that component given uh, that that seems to be a moving target right now? Thank you. Yeah, um, look, I think that we build our pricing based on the, the environment that, uh, that we saw at the time that we put that out there. Um, certainly, you know, this is one of the, if those members come into the market, we will be super excited to have them. Um, they are, as we talked about, they're likely to come with some MLR pressure. Uh, but over time, we think that that's a net tailwind for our company. Thank you. Thank you. And you're, and your next question comes from Ricky Goldwasser from Morgan Stanley. Your line is open. Hey, guys. This is Michael Ha. Um, on for Ricky. I think you might have mentioned in your prepared remarks how much was the RADV impact to revenue this quarter, and if you could just talk a little bit about the results of that audit. I know you mentioned that headwind was mainly 2019, and there was an improvement in 2020, but what changed between 2019 and 2020, and Lastly, you mentioned changes are being made in your processes this year. Could you talk about what, what changes those are? Thank you. Sure. Um, so the impact of the RADV um, accrual that we made was, was roughly $20 million. And, you know, as I said on, in my prepared remarks, it's, a, it's an unusual audit because it covers two years, 2019 and 2020. And I would just say that um, – 
first off, the results are, are, are below what we had expected, and we've identified causes. There's, there's, you know, some that are just operational about how we got the data together to, to execute the audit. And then I would say the other thing is that on a relative performance basis, um, the market, you know, our performance is high, but others improved uh, a bit more than we did. Um, we've seen uh, 2020 have better results, um, and, and, and that's just through the, the audit that's ongoing at the moment. And then the, the types of things that we're doing in 2021 um, and beyond are really just taking the opportunity to continue to enhance our, uh, you know, the effectiveness of our collection of scores and make sure that uh, that we build in a process where we can support all of the uh, the retrospective review through the validation exercise. Got it. Thank you. And your next question comes from Stephen Baxter from Wells Fargo. Your line is open. Hi. Thanks. A um, couple on MLR to try to identify some of the core trends there a little more clearly. I think on a Q2 call, you said that in the back half of the year, you're expecting about 600 basis points of pressure from COVID and also assuming no offset from lower non-COVID. So it sounds like you did indeed see the 600 basis points of COVID this quarter and I think mentioned an offset of about 300 basis points from lower non-COVID utilization. So that sounds to me like outside of SCP and RADV that the trends were actually better than expected. But then I think you also said in Door Prepared to March that net COVID costs were worse than expected. Just hoping you could clarify um, which one of those it is and, and sort of what the pieces are that I might be missing. Sure. No, I appreciate that uh, this is a complicated topic. So first of all, on COVID, our prior guidance, we increased our guidance um, last quarter for direct COVID costs. We roughly doubled what we had previously assumed. And we assumed that our non-COVID utilization would be at baseline. That was really creating a little bit of a natural hedge of what would be the net COVID cost that the company would incur. We didn't really try to overcomplicate the estimate by forecasting, you know, precisely here's the direct cost, but here's the, the offset for utilization. We knew that there was a risk that direct COVID costs could exceed our estimates, and we expected if that would happen that we would see utilization, you know, basically at lower levels that would offset. And we saw that happen. Um, you know, what, what didn't happen is that utilization didn't uh, decrease enough to fully offset the increase in COVID expense. So, you know, I would say that the, as I mentioned, we had 600 million of net COVID costs, and that was uh, in excess of our um, Got it. Just to put a, you know, hopefully put a fine point on it. By the way, I said million. It was basis points, 600 basis points, excuse me. Got it. Just just to be totally clear, though, it sounds like in the second half you were expecting 600 basis points of COVID costs with no offset. You got 600 basis points and said that there was 300 basis points of non-COVID as an offset. So it makes sense that you did see some offset. So I'm just confused about how in the quarter it seems like overall this was an issue that was worse for you than expected, but it sounds like it was actually better than the guidance. So is, is there something there that needs to be factored in that I'm just not missing? Sorry if that's being repetitive. No, I, look, I think that on the guidance side, I would just say that net COVID costs were higher than what our um, guidance had assumed. That was marginally higher, not by, not by a lot. So, um, you know, I'm happy to pull that up offline uh, and, and we can give you the, the talk, but 
it's 600 basis points of net, including, you know, the offset. Yeah, but growth was higher than we thought and didn't get offset enough. Got it. Okay. And then just the, this the last clarification point for me is just can you repeat and clarify the, the FTP impact to the quarter and how much of the, the 400 basis points that that into your, your guidance for the year? Thank you. Yep. So FTP on a year-over-year basis was 100 basis points of additional MLR, and that's, you know, on a year-over-year basis. In the quarter, the discrete FTP costs were 200 basis points. So, you know, that's the, that is the impact. We rolled those into guidance, um, and, you know, we would expect that the FTP effect in the fourth quarter you know, is accelerating, and so we built that into our full-year guidance. And your last question comes from Joshua Raskin from Nefrin. Your line is open. Hi, thanks. Uh, appreciate you guys uh, squeezing me in here. So uh, parent cash was down, I think, about $100 million, and I know subsidiary cash was down. I think it was about $500 million, and I think about $200 million loss in EBITDA for the fourth quarter in terms of guidance and uh, yet to be seen on 2022, but it sounds like obviously expecting a loss. So I guess just questions on capital needs, where you think your plan is now. Has this impacted, you know, your thoughts on, uh, you know, longer-term capital needs or maybe even, you know, shorter term over the next year or two? Sure. Um, thanks for the question. And, you know, I would just say with regard to the cash that's at the insurance subsidiaries, we make a, a payment on the risk adjustment um, that occurred in the third quarter. That was the driver of the decrease of cash there. Um, you know, broader speaking, kind of pulling up, I would just say, first of all, um, we had a, a billion dollars of parent cash at the end of the quarter. We've got all of our insurance entities are well capitalized. Um, there's excess there, which offers, you know, an additional buffer. And then on top of that, we have, you know, untapped liquidity with our revolver. As I've talked about in the past, we always look at reinsurance as an option for us to mitigate the effects of growth. Uh, and so I think of that as a lever. So, you know, as we enter into 22, I feel like we've got a strong liquidity position and we have, you know, levers there that, that we haven't pulled, you know, should we need to, to do something to slow down the cash burn. Very clear. Thank you. And this concludes our question and answer session and our conference call. Thank you all for participating. You may now disconnect your lines. Thank you very much.